is for sharing, and so is a great story. Welcome to the Kiwi Foodcast, the show where we sit down with chefs, food businesses, food writers, and more to share the stories behind the food they serve. I'm your host, Persan Patel, and this show is brought to you by Podcasts New Zealand. Let's dig in, everyone. Welcome again to the Kiwi Foodcast. Today on the show, we have Archana Kuru of Eat With Me. Archana is a trained chef. Like me, she came to New Zealand from India. After working in many kitchens in New Zealand, she has started a private dining service, Eat With Me. What she does is quite unique in that you and your group get to go to Archana's house for a meal and she curates an experience just for you. From the stock to the salad to the meat, everything is made by Archana from scratch. She also runs a monthly supper club. And in addition to that, Archana also works part-time at Pay What You Feel restaurant Everybody Eats, who have already been on our show. So I'm really looking forward to chatting with Archana today about her story and the work she's doing, as well as her unique concept. We also will chat a little bit about why it's important to have a job that pleases your soul. So without further ado, let's welcome Archana. Hi, how are you? Hi, person. I'm doing very well. How are you doing? I'm doing awesome. So let's start at the very beginning, Archana. Tell me a little bit about your childhood. Do you have any favorite food stories that you can share with us? Um, so I was born in uh, Kerala in India and sort of, uh, well, I lived in Chennai. That was my home. Uh, but, you know, a typical sort of Indian home upbringing, um, meals cooked at home and mostly vegetarian. Um, I don't recall really liking vegetables too much, though, because I, th- I think it was the texture. I re- never really quite enjoyed the soft texture of vegetables. I think um, Indians just don't know how to cook vegetables. Can we just say that? <laughs> like in my I house, we just that, used yeah. to like my granny used to pressure cook all her vegetables. And <laughs> it's exactly like that. I grew up eating like soft vegetables. And yeah. I think maybe that's why we hate them so much because we've just not been eating it the right way. Do you think so? Yeah, I, th- I think it's not our fault. You're right. Yeah, <laughs> let's blame it on them. <laughs> yes, let's. But as far as um, a food memory goes, there is uh, uh, my grandma was an excellent cook. And when we used to go on holidays to Kerala, where my grandparents uh, used to live, so I've always loved fish and sardines uh, was my favorite. And it's a very popular fish in Kerala. And I remember... Um, when the fishmonger used to pass by on the road. So, you know, there was this basket on his head and he'd be walking. And then, you know, mati, the, the word is mati for sardines in, in Kerala. And then he'd be walking by saying, you know, mati, 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 mati. And then, uh, <laughs> and then my grandma would go out and, you know, buy some fish. And uh, the household was a vegetarian household. And my grandfather really didn't like any sort of fish or meat cooked in the house. But because um, I like to think I was the apple of his eye, so he allowed fish being cooked. So he used to go for this really long walk uh, so that, you know, he wouldn't have to smell the fish or anything like that. (laughs) And then my my grandma would um, coat these sardines. You know, I'm slightly salivating as I'm talking. Uh, That's the point of the show. So I always (laughs) hope that whoever's listening, by the time they should feel hungry. So you're doing a good job. Thank you. So the sardines were just sort of coated in chili and salt, and then you'd fry it till it was so crisp that you could sort of eat through all of the bones. 
And I remember sitting at the table going through, you know, kilos of this um, sardines and half the time the bones getting stuck in my throat. And then my grandma would, you know, stuff either a lump of rice or a banana down so that I could keep eating more fish. And that to me is sort of just the best. It's just what I think back and go, I wish I could have more of that. Awesome. <laughs> that sounds really tasty. And um, I think for my listeners who heard a bang, 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 bang on the door, that was my child trying to break into my um, my studio. So excuse that. <laughs> but we will just keep on going as if that did not happen. Okay. Um, so Arjuna, tell me about then the first meal you cooked um, in a kitchen. Like when did you realize that being a chef was what you wanted to do? Oh, my uh, I honestly can't remember what the first meal that I cooked in a kitchen, but how I ended up uh, picking uh, working in a kitchen was really, um, I always liked cooking at home, mm. but I didn't cook that much because, you know, my um, the kitchen was my grandmother's domain and she didn't really like people coming in. Yeah. Um, so I, but I always liked eating as well. And I didn't at that stage know that there could be a profession out of this. Yeah, and uh, then I it wasn't meeting. a much talked about profession, to be fair, right? Like it's no, hospitality and being a chef is just something that's kind of become cool right now in India. Yes, like it's not yeah. really been something that good women Definitely. would do. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then when you talk to your relatives, and they're like, "Wait, you want to be a cook?" Yeah, and it's, it was always this is sort of derogatory term, and um, yeah. But but anyway, I met this uh, cousin's friend who had just actually finished hotel management. And then uh, I was talking, you know, it was sort of time for me to decide what I wanted to do with my life and career. And then uh, I was saying how I really hated mathematics. And I was like, anything that doesn't have maths, I'll do that. <laughs> and then he said, oh, you know what? For hotel management, you don't need to do any maths. And I was like, great. And that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then he followed that up with... Uh, but you know what? Kitchens are not a place for women. Mm. And the second he said that, I was like, yes, this is what I'm going to do. First, because it doesn't have maths. And secondly, to prove you wrong. Yeah. And here I am. That's the story, basically. Oh, that's awesome. And I'm, I'm very <laughs> similar to you. Like if someone tells me I can't do anything, then I have to go. I mean, I just have to do it because you told yeah. me I can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, it's worked out fine for me. So, yeah. um, so I'm quite happy about that. So... Um, after your training, you worked at the Park Hotel. Can you tell us yeah. a little bit about that experience? And when during this time did you kind of decide you wanted to come to New Zealand? Well, um, so I worked uh, at the Park Hotel for nine years. This was my first job, uh, quite a long time for a first job, but I absolutely loved it. I Honestly, I don't think I could have had a better first job. It was a very customer-centric, uh, customer and food-centric hotel. And, uh, you know, uh, a strong focus on quality and really creative menus. And funnily enough, the first chef I worked with uh, was a Kiwi, um, which is quite interesting now when you, you know, think of where I am. Yeah. Um, yeah. But to be fair, there is quite a few Kiwis in, in Chennai. I've heard about this. So Really? Um, I don't know. Not at the time when I started of course, working. Fair enough, I, yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't recall meeting, knowing anybody else from New Zealand, I think. So, but yeah, he was, um, he was an, um, he is an amazing chef and I'm so lucky to have had the chance to work with him. And it was just a really sort of driven, um, motivated environment. Uh, and, you know, lots of the chefs were quite young and it was just, 
it was just a great place to work and i worked really hard you know six days sort of 12 hour shifts and uh, but you know i was in my 20s i didn't really want to do much else apart from work and hang out with my friends so it really worked out quite well and um, yeah and i ended up training in european cooking which i really enjoyed and um, but because it was a hotel i got to learn a lot more as well because you know we had indian food and a really good thai restaurant and we did a lot of uh, on site catering and off site catering so it was quite a um, a really holistic experience mm-hmm. i really loved it awesome that sounds like a great experience i've um, not cooked too much in five star kitchens obviously i'm not a professionally trained chef but i've done a few pop ups at five star restaurants when i was yeah. doing my parsi food catering and yeah. um Yeah it was always a, a very interesting experience the kitchens there um are run very differently and yeah. i think for me my big thing was i remember i was doing a pop up and parsi food uses a lot of onions like practically everything starts with fry some onions so yeah. um i was like you know no no i will need like a food processor like i can't like yeah. <laughs> I can't cut all these onions and the chef comes and he's like what do you need and he's just like chop 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 like just powers through like 50 onions and I was just like oh my god <laughs> you know this is this is the reason why I didn't choose learning indian cuisine I was like oh we need a lot of onions that is a legit reason cuisine, honestly <laughs> <laughs> that is exactly what happened <laughs> so then tell me when you moved to new zealand did you find that the kitchens in new zealand as compared to india were really different or were they not different at all no actually quite different i think because uh, before coming to new zealand you know india was the only other place that i had worked in a commercial kitchen so the most obvious difference is of course the number of people you would find in the kitchen because there's just a lot more staffing in india than there would be here yeah. um and i think also well at least you know from my experience in the hotel like we didn't have a lot of fancy equipment that uh, you know fancy equipment makes up for some of the um the, the hours that uh, manpower would put in yeah of course yes yeah, so, but in india you have more hands and less equipment and i am quite thankful um for my experience because you know there are lots of things that i can make without fancy equipment mm-hmm. and i i think i'm 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 a bit um technologically challenged that way anyway so you know when i have really sort of complicated equipment i don't get it that easily so <laughs> i think one of the coolest pieces of equipment i came across when i was at the five star hotel was um they had a machine which peeled your potatoes and washed yes. them and i was yeah. like oh my god that is so cool like <laughs> i would just keep going and like standing there and looking at how it was doing it it was just so amazing but yeah i agree with you yeah <laughs> <laughs> but if you let those potatoes in for too long they sort of come out like tiny little baby potatoes. Ah uh, okay well that, clearly I didn't use it I was just looking at it. <laughs> yeah it, it is quite cool when you first come across it for sure. <laughs> and and also I think in India uh, there is a lot of uh, focused on specialized training right. especially in hotels you know you have a separate bakery a butchery um you know a commissary kitchen and very uh, specific tasks and uh, areas whereas in new zealand it's a lot more multitasking okay. and you have to do a bit of everything because you have to hmm. okay so yeah. any key learnings for you from like when you switched to you know from an indian kitchen to a new zealand kitchen was it like a culture shock uh yeah i i think well i i guess i yes i think it was a culture shock because 
uh, I was expecting, I don't know what I was expecting, but I remember thinking that it's, it is quite different. And also um, because you have so much manpower in India, there's a lot of things that you end up making uh, from scratch just because not necessarily because you want to do it like that, but just because there's no other choice. Yeah. And I, I remember um, going to this cafe when I first moved here and I used to order eggs Benedict when I go to the cafes and I remember eating it thinking that this looks like hollandaise. It tastes like holland. Oh, it doesn't taste like holland. It looks like hollandaise. It feels like hollandaise, but it doesn't taste like hollandaise. And then when I started meeting people and then people were like, oh no, you also get hollandaise out of, you know, a packet or a box or, and I was just absolutely blown away by that because I've never seen that before. And, you know, in India, you wouldn't have places that would sell you beef jus packets or things out of a packet. It's just not something that you'd get. So by default, you have to learn how to make all these things from scratch, which yeah. for me as a chef is incredible. Yeah, I think, yes, you're right, actually, because when I briefly, um, before I went to India, I worked for a catering company in New Zealand and yeah. they used to do a lot of buffet breakfast and you even yeah. get like your scrambled eggs in a bag and apparently you just like put the whole bag in like hot water and it makes really? your scrambled eggs. <laughs> and I was like really amazed by it. I was like, hmm, no eggs are involved in the making of the scrambled eggs. <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy yeah <laughs> yeah they didn't taste particularly good but yeah yeah anyway, no surprise there. that's buffets for you <laughs> yeah yeah exactly <laughs> all right <laughs> so tell me about um eat with me like what motivated you you were working you've obviously worked in these five-star kitchens when you came to new zealand you were working for some really um you know high-end kitchens so what motivated you to start something of your own why did you want to do that so I'm going to tell you a little experience that I had many years ago. Sort of, it, it ties in today with what I'm doing. And at that time, it didn't really uh, strike me as something that would sit in my memory. So many years ago, I um, went to visit some uh, family in Indianapolis in, um, in America. And uh, my uncle, who's a big foodie, and uh, I am a big foodie, and um, he wanted to take me out to this uh, restaurant. I was sort of in the middle of nowhere. And uh, he said that you'll really like it. It's a really cool little restaurant and uh, there's no menu. So you just go there. It's it's basically a menu of the day and they just make whatever they want and you just have to sit and eat it. And my anyway, God, so I know I so many there. Indians who would not be comfortable with that. <laughs> like <laughs> my father-in-law, for example. <laughs> yeah. I, I was absolutely sort of uh, so excited. You know, I was a Yeah, young, yeah. Young I think child. if you like genuinely love food and love, are really curious about food, it's yeah. a great experience. But I yes. know a lot of Indians who are very like, they want their menu to be as big and as varied as possible. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> like I think a lot of them would even struggle with like our New Zealand menus where there's like, you know, seven or eight main items to choose from. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. No, I know. I know what you mean. Yeah. Um, anyway, so then we ended up going to the restaurant and the restaurant was just this beautiful um, space. I mean, you went in, it was run by this couple and, you know, no two tables were the same. All the crockery and cutlery in the tables were different. And um, they had this lovely little kitchen, you know, with these windows that opened out. So, so they were basically cooking and serving. And they were sort of chatting with us from the kitchen, you know, uh, mixing their pots while they were cooking and talking to us. And it just sort of felt like, you know, we were friends. 
and we had just gone to their house and we were just sitting down and we didn't have to worry about anything. You know, we didn't have to use our brains to think what we needed to order. We All we needed to do was sit at the table and enjoy each other's company and the professionals were doing what they did. That and is so, really, yeah, I think, I mean, sorry to interrupt you, but that's oh, really okay. amazing. Like I just, um, so in my family, I'm the resident like person who has to order for everyone in a restaurant. And right. that gives me a lot of anxiety because I'm always like worried that I'm going to, I don't know, you know, something I choose for them, they will not like to eat yeah. or um, it'll be too much food or too little food. And yeah. yeah, I always tell my husband that, you know, can you just like choose for once? <laughs> I secretly don't want him to choose. I don't trust his choices. <laughs> but you know what I mean? The anxiety part of it. So. Yeah, no, I totally get it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, that sounds like a beautiful experience. So oh, it, it was just incredible, you know, just and today, if you ask me, I don't remember a single thing that I ate that day. Mm-hmm. But I remember the food when I came out of that lunch, I just felt it just felt so great. You know, I felt like I had been fed this delicious, nourishing meal, but it didn't feel like I really went to a restaurant. It just felt like I went to a place where I, you know, ended up meeting some friends and just hung out. And it was just, it was just a really wholesome experience as opposed to a lunch. And uh, anyway, this sort of just stuck in my head. And I had been, um, you know, I've done, a, I've worked at a lot of great places here in, in, in New Zealand, and I've had a lot of great jobs. But I think, you know, over the course of the last eight years, I've been struggling to find some sense of fulfillment. And um, and I think that's why I ventured into doing something on my own. Mm. And I just felt like I needed a bit more than just having to cook people's meals. And yeah, and, and that's really why Eat With Me started. Okay. So, I mean, it, having people to eat over at your house, it's quite a unique concept, you know. I think also for many Kiwis, having people over for dinner is generally quite a formal affair. Um, yeah. You know, it's not something I think a lot of Indians here, for them it's a lot of like their main source of entertainment because at least it was for us when we first migrated here because we couldn't afford to go out to a Kiwi restaurant. Yeah. So going to each other's houses was quite natural. But I know that my Kiwi friends didn't actually used to do that. So it was quite an alien concept. So how yeah. hard was it to kind of explain this and get your first few customers? Oh, it's definitely been a challenge. Um, and, you know, some people just get it straight away. Mm. Uh, but a lot of other people are like, oh, you know, there's a bit of hesitation. And I think for me, it feels really natural. And that's what I emit. Right. And I think that's why it works because uh, there have been customers, you know, have been hesitant at the start and wanted to try my food, but they just weren't sure if it was the right thing for them. And I'm really proud to say that every single person who's come to my house and had a meal here has loved it. And, and you know, that's just so um, fulfilling. And it's it's so great to hear that because, you know, we go to people's houses all the time and eat at other people's meals. So in that sense, it's not really a unique concept. Yeah. But, but uh, when you're actually trying to sell it as a business model, it's quite different because, uh, you know, I am a stranger to the guests who come to my house mm. and how it's perceived is quite, um, is quite different. And, you know, in big, in big food cities around the world, people are doing this in the form of pop-ups and supper clubs. And, you know, there are Michelin chefs who are doing uh, curated meals for people. So, you know, it's just about um, getting to know a bit more and 
if people are willing to give it a shot or not. So I feel like I'm on the right track. Okay. So for our listeners, could you explain how what you're doing is different from, you know, maybe getting a catered meal or going to a restaurant, like just for those for whom this is quite a new concept? Yeah. Well, see, uh, essentially, uh, uh, like a catering business or a restaurant business is targeted at larger markets and a larger turnover. You know, we uh, at restaurants, we would pride ourselves in giving, uh, being able to give a standardized experience because that's that's what we are striving to do. Right. Whereas uh, in my home, this experience is completely curated around a customer. So no two experiences are the same and no two menus are the same because everyone has different preferences. And so I always change things to suit people. And, you know, um, I'll always do something a little bit different. So, um, so it's very non-standardized in that sense. But it's always revolving around delicious food and hospitality and warmth, which is, you know, the key element to my business. And also because I am curating this experience for um, for the guests, you know, I'm also connecting with the guests, we're sharing food stories. It's very personal to me. And this is it's it's me, you know, and um, if I do something, if if the customers love what I'm doing, you know, it's very exhilarating. Mm. And if something, you know, if say they didn't like something about it, it's also, it's really, um, you know, you feel really vulnerable. Yeah. Because because it is me. There's nobody else. When you're working with other people, you know, you have nowhere to hide here. Right. Um, and yeah, and I think that's what it is because it it is that's the main difference. I agree with that. Um, I mean, I've done similar kind of pop-ups um, at my house in India through various different platforms that offer the service and also just um, by advertising on social media and stuff. And I totally yeah. agree with you on the kind of vulnerability part of it. Like yeah. it's just so this about you're inviting these people to your home. You want them to have a great experience and yeah. um yeah, you take it really seriously because, you know, I don't know, it's like they're in your house and you want them to have a great time. I'm not saying Absolutely. that you wouldn't want them to do that in a restaurant, but it's almost like it's very personal. It is, yes, exactly. So how do you um, get your customers? Like, I know you're listed on Airbnb, but how else do people hear from you? Well, on Airbnb, actually, what I do is a supper club. Okay. Um, so that's, you know, six people and they can be different uh, diners, individual diners. And I do a five course meal for them. Uh, but I also I have a website where you can book uh, book a meal through that. And, uh, you know, Instagram, Facebook, all of the usual social media suspects. Um, well, yeah, you can okay. you can book me through all of that. Okay, well, that sounds um, that sounds lovely, and I also think a big part of it would just be the word of mouth, right? Like, I mean, if, I think it's oh, just such huge. a um, it's so that such is, a like a curated experience. You want to share yeah. that kind of special thing with people. That is that is actually that's that is really important. I I miss saying it, but yes, especially where I am in Pukekohe, uh, what I have noticed is that most of the people who end up booking me are through people who have said, you know, they're people who have come and tried my food and they're like, oh, this was amazing. And I think around where I am, I think it's quite important for people to know a real person who's tried this. Right. Yeah. Otherwise, people don't end up booking. You know, they, they could say that, yes, it's really nice. It sounds great. But unless they actually know somebody who's done it, mm. they don't have the confidence to um, 
book book a dinner with me. Okay. And I mean experience aside, like why come to yours? Like how is the food that you're cooking different to what they would get in a fine dining restaurant? Oh, my food is um, definitely uh, not fine dining food. I definitely wouldn't categorize it as that because it's not as masterful or complex as fine dining food. Uh, I think at the heart of it, I am really a cook, uh, you know, and I really love feeding people in my home. I think that's the sort of um, underlying philosophy of it. And I, I, I've been wanting to do food that is really accessible to people and, you know, food that's very simple but with layers of flavor. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, um, you know, when people taste my food, I want them to, you know, look at it and go, oh, that's fairly simple. But then when they eat it, they go, oh, I can see, you know, you've put hours of work into it. And uh, because of that, it's quite a technique-driven style of cooking. But at the core, it needs to just be really delicious and fun. And, you know, I love making everything from scratch, you know, from stocks to juice to vinegars to... Whatever I can make, I try making everything on my own. And that ties into the ethos of my business, which is, you know, about reducing the amount of waste. Because I think when you work at restaurants as well, it's um, it's so fast paced and you actually don't get a second to stop and consider what you're using or what you're wasting. And for me, that also ties into, um, uh, ties into the business and uh, the business model. And it's important to me that, you know, when I'm thinking of a menu, that I'm thinking it completely through. Right. I must say that, you know, like I used to love European food, but I have started feeling really bored with like the usual steak and roast chicken and fish that you get in your typical European restaurant. Like I feel there's just no innovation happening unless it is at the really kind of, like you said, the fine dining part. Um, So I'm sure your approach must allow you to be more innovative and therefore you're also kind of learning on the job oh absolutely and i i I think you're you're right where there's lots of innovation and creativity in the city and you know people are doing amazing things and chefs are just you know Mm. doing incredible things but when you move away from the city uh you still sort of lots of restaurants are sticking to fairly safe or you know a standard sort of fare. And for me as a consumer, when I go out, I like to eat food that I can't make at home or I can't easily exactly. make at home. Exactly. I agree that's what with I you. want to spend my money on. You know? I'm, I'm not going to go out and eat scrambled eggs and toast because, yes. because I can make better scrambled eggs at home. I know. You know, so for me, when I'm offering menus, that's a huge part of the consideration. I don't want to do things that I feel people can do at home just as well, um, if not better. Right. So, uh, so for me, uh, my menus are constantly changing. I'm constantly learning, and you know, it could be inspired by something that I've eaten, or a memory, or, or, or just anywhere. There's inspiration everywhere, and so because of that, there's just so much of learning for me on a day-to-day basis. And I push myself um, to constantly um, search for more interesting things, so that it's interesting for the customer and really interesting for me to cook. That sounds amazing, and I'm very, very hungry, Archana. <laughs> I need to invite you to your house. <laughs> I got distracted from like the next question I want to ask you because I was like, oh, I'm so hungry. <laughs> um, so I believe from your social media that obviously people can come to your house, but you also go to people's houses and cook for them there. Is that correct? 
Yeah, that that is correct. Actually, when I started the business a couple of years ago, you know, the model that I really wanted to stick to was what we're talking about, a dining experience in my home. But when I spoke to friends and um, uh, people from here and when I you know told them about the idea and then they said that not sure that customers are going to be keen to come to my house only. Mm-hmm. So they said you can do the business that way, but also keep keep a keep an option of going to people's houses and cooking for them. Right. Um, you know, that way, the people who want to try my food, but are not 100% comfortable with coming to my house, get to taste the food in the comfort of their own home. And that's sort of um, the reason why that started. Okay, cool. And I guess the second concept is something that's slightly more accepted. That's the, your kind of private chef concept, yes. which is already around... Um, so that that kind of makes sense. And it's good that you're doing both because I would want people to experience your food. So um, good yeah. on you. Now, mm-hmm. I had a quick question. Do you yeah. like sit down and eat with your guests or is that like they just enjoy the meal at your house? No, I don't actually sit down and eat with the guests because I... I don't have time in between my <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. But no, I don't. Um, uh, See, if just, you were I cooking Indian food, you could I... do that because everything's like, you know, like a curry and it takes hours to make. So the food would be ready before they came. Yeah, <laughs> but if you think about it, you know, the breads, it, you always have to make everything hot. And I never thought of that, you know, when I was younger, because like when, you know, I go home and then my mom's making dosa for me. Mm. But she never sits down with me because she's always making them one at a time and I'm eating it really hot. And if it goes cold, I'm like, uh, you know, I'd like the hot one, please. I think that's why dosa businesses, there's a gap for dosa businesses, right? Like that's why I don't (laughs) like having dosas at home because, I mean, you can't have it together. You're right. Like um, it has to be had fresh. I mean, I have to say that doesn't stop me from eating them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I love dosas. <laughs> I always bring those. Um, so I've recently started making dosa mix at my house because I was scared. Oh, really? by, well, I used to buy them from the Indian shop. And then I um, someone gave me the process and I got a like a thermal mix at my house. So I oh, was, is it working well? Yeah, yeah, I love I love my thermomics. So great, you should come home sometime and make some doses for me. <laughs> what? <laughs> that is not where this conversation was going. <laughs> All right. Okay, a sudden detour. Okay. Before I end up having to cook a meal for you. So tell me, you started also doing like supper clubs. So um what are those and how are they different from what you're doing on a regular basis? Yeah, so supper clubs uh, have been something that have excited me for quite a while now, ever since I heard of them. And I really wanted um, an opportunity to be able to do supper clubs. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the times when I'm, you know, in the regular private bookings, people want, uh, so if I have a menu put up, you know, people always want to customize it to their taste and preferences, of course. But sometimes, you know, I don't have uh, complete control over the menu. Right. So I thought the supper club would be a really cool way to do something really creative, you know, offer a menu of the day where I am the person who decides and curates the whole uh, menu. Okay. And uh, when I thought of that, um, I decided that I wanted to do a big supper club event. So I did um, the first one that I did was in January. And uh, it was a summer evening and, you know, 12 diners and it was on our front garden, which is this beautiful, um, uh, lovely looking garden in, in the summertime. 
uh, with eight courses over four hours, and we had a wind quartet playing. And oh, wow, that sounds beautiful. beautiful. Oh my goodness, it was just magical. You know, if I do say so myself, it's not it's not great that I'm sort of blowing my own trumpet, <laughs> but it was a magical night. And you know, I was really nervous and lots of hesitation going into this because I really had no idea how this was going to work, and. You know, for me, I knew it was going to be special, but it was just so much more. And the people who, all of the customers who came and, you know, just sort of embraced it. And by the end of the night, you know, the, I think it went on from six to 10 and people were sitting on the lawn till about 12 o'clock in the night, just chit chatting with each other. And it was just, it was just something else. And I decided that I wanted this to be something that I could do every month. Um, and but I do it inside my house in the in the dining room instead. And it's a ticketed event, and I do um, you know six seats, and I host it with my partner because it's quite fun for us to do. We both are quite gregarious, and uh, you know uh, my partner Robin um, serves the guests and then sits with them and chats with them and eats eats with them as well. Whereas I cook and I'm just um, chatting with people. So it's basically. Um, you know, it's priced at $100 per person and it's a five course dinner, um, you know, with all surprise courses. And um, that's yeah, really good I mean, value. Yeah. I mean, I, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's just really, again, it's, it's all in keeping with, you know, what my food is about and uh, a really fun evening. And yeah, and we've had few pauses uh, due to COVID as expected. But um, yeah, we've been doing that since January. Okay. That sounds amazing. And I think um, the supper clubs that you talk about is more in line yeah. with kind of what I did at my um, house in India. And I used to just have always love because you never know who the people are going to be, you know, who yes. are coming. So um, that's that exciting element. And there's always, yeah. you know, we always talk about food being like the great connector or food bringing people together. But that environment just kind of proves that so well because yes. you just like put together these seven or eight people who love food together in a room and that's like the common thread and you can just like see that like throughout the yeah. evening. So, yeah. yeah. And always I feel people just end up becoming friends and when I used to do them at my house, I used to find, yeah, the same thing as yours. Like I had to literally kick them out of the house. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, dude, you know, like, you come for lunch and it's like six o'clock now. <laughs> Can you just leave? And I think once yeah. so I used to do it with Parsi foods. So we used to do um, a Sunday event, which was like dhansak and beer, which is like yeah. a combination made in heaven. And oh, a, couple yes. of, <laughs> a couple of people who came, they were like, can you just like put out some mattresses now and just like have <laughs> sleep? And I was like, no, thank you. You need to like leave. <laughs> but, but yeah, yeah it's just amazing, right? That like your guests feel um, comfortable enough with you to do yes. that. Like, and that would never happen in a restaurant. So No, no, it really wouldn't. Yeah. Mm. And I don't know if I mentioned it, but I call my supper clubs the social table. Oh, okay. Oh, that's yeah. that's a good name for it. Mm. I thought so. Thank you. Yeah. So in addition to all this amazing stuff you're doing, you also work part-time at Everybody Eats. So how has that experience yes. been, like working in a kitchen which is staffed with volunteers? You know, uh, for the record, I'm just going to say that Everybody Eats is the best job that I've ever had in New Zealand. Uh, I, I absolutely love 
love working for this organization. Cool. So after and, this episode, um, I'm going to hit up Jamie and uh, Nick and ask them to sponsor this episode now that you said that. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, uh, you know, I've always been a big fan of the work and, you know, food wastage is a big um um, it's a big subject that I, I feel very strongly about and, you know, something that I include in my um, in my own business. So when, you know, the opportunity came to work uh, with them, I, I knew that I wanted to be a part of it straight away. But I was also quite nervous going in because I was like, this is quite, it, it, this is not a traditional, you know, commercial kitchen setup. And, um, and I think I'm just, I, I'm so excited by the fact that, Every day is different. You know, every day brings a new set of challenges. I just don't know what's going to happen until I actually get to work. And, you know, there's full creativity, uh, full license to be creative because you have to be. Because, you know, sometimes you might think I'm going to make this, but then you go to work and it turns out you can't. You have to adjust it and do something else. And um, working with volunteers, I'm just honestly blown away by the amount of, uh, by just the fact that people want to give their time and, they want to come and do the best job that they can do. And could you have better colleagues than that? Yeah. It's just incredible. You know, honestly, I'm, I'm just truly humbled by it. And Jamie and Nick are just great to work with. And there isn't a better person to be at the helm of this kitchen than Jamie. Okay. So, yeah, all in all, it's just great. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I we had Jamie on the show earlier. And yeah, I just I loved it because I can sense that from you as well. You know, it's about the soul. Like that's there yeah. in the food um, that you guys are cooking. And obviously with the volunteers being there, what he had said as well, it's like they want to be there. So because of that, they're doing like the best job they would possibly do. Yes. It's not for the money. So no, it's incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So tell me, I love your supper club idea and what you're doing with Eat With Me as well. So what do you think we need to do to make this concept more popular and like accepted in New Zealand? <laughs> Well, actually, this would be a question for both of us, no? since you've actually already done this as well. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think from my perspective, it's not something you can really, I don't, I don't know what you would do to make it become more popular. But I think as the food scene in, evolves, mm. it's something that probably will happen organically. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But people need to know more about it and they need to be open to it and talk more about it and um, hopefully you know that'll encourage other chefs as well to yeah maybe do uh, a supper club I mean I think it's very cool and um, and I think people would enjoy it so yeah definitely what do you what do you think what um, do you think I, I I definitely think it works great um, it's obviously cha- more challenging in New Zealand where you know I think when you don't have uh, a kind of one specific cuisine that you are doing it's it's yeah. more difficult to kind of promote it because i yeah. know that when we did it in india different people had like a very different specific regional cuisine that they were promoting which you Correct. Yeah. typically wouldn't be available in a restaurant so that was like the only place that you could have it like same with yeah. parsi food and um but i don't think that's not to say that it can't be done more of and in fact i think being in this COVID situation, we've come to appreciate, you know, just being in our homes more and like pausing and having those longer meals. So I think the time is ripe 
And um, yeah, I hope that more and more people come and taste your food. And um, I hope so. Too. You know, I um, a, a chef friend of mine. She runs something really cool in Delhi, which maybe we can start up. So she runs um, like a recipe book club, which is like a. Mm-hmm. It's like an in-between between a book club and a supper club. So what they do okay. is they get all these cooks together and all the cooks cook from the same recipe book and then they all have a meal together. So you choose like one thing that you're going to cook. Um, so it's right. like a potluck. Everyone's oh, cooked okay. one, one thing from the same recipe book. Um but then you like all sit together and have that meal. So you get to kind of try like eight or nine different things from that recipe book, which typically otherwise you wouldn't, you know, you generally just kind of do one or two and then the book would lie down. So, Oh, that's really fun. Is she doing this with other fellow chefs? Yeah. And so she does it as she does it in Delhi with other fellow chefs. And it's like a way of kind of networking, you know, with um, just others in the industry and yeah. Meeting together oh, or plate of food. Yeah. We should start it Absolutely. actually. Let's start it. <laughs> All right. I so love that idea. Before we come up with any more business <laughs> businesses doing this show, um, my husband's going to kill me. He'll be like, can you please stop this now? Um, anyway, so moving on um, to, I think, my favorite part of the show, which is called Fast Food 5, which is basically I ask you five fast questions about food. So are you ready? Okay, I'm very nervous. Okay. Okay. That's really cool. Your favorite Indian vegetable? <laughs> uh, okra. Okra. Oh, yes. You know what? I recently learned how to cook okra properly in my Thermomix, may I add. Um, oh, and really? It just tastes so much better when it's, you know, cooked with a little bite and not like completely yeah. like soft and slimy. <laughs> Definitely. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'm going to have to eat right after. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And your favorite European meal? Oh, so hard. I think um, um, mm, like some sort of braised meal. Okay. Yeah. I, I love braised food. Yeah. yeah. Slow cooked. Slow cook food, meat. yes. I love yeah. slow cook meat. I think meat is just yeah. meant to be slow cooked. It is. That's true. It is meant to be. Mm. And I think that kind of resonates, right? Like if you think back to when meat was like a luxury and it wasn't something that you ate every day, you could yes. give it the time to just really cook. And Absolutely. You know, your home fills up with all those flavors, like just the yeah. aromas and you want to dig into it as compared yeah. to yeah yeah Mm, okay I think it's really a labor of love and you can really feel it in you know Mm. slow cooked foods yeah okay the one thing you must always have in your pantry onions oh for someone who did not (laughs) do Indian food because (laughs) they don't like onions (laughs) <laughs> yeah but I'm, I'm, I'm with you so my mom recently turned uh james and she stopped having onions yeah and i was like i don't know how to cook for you anymore so now when i invite her <laughs> i ask her to bring her own food because i'm like i don't know how to cook onions. <laughs> you know whenever i decide what i'm cooking before i even start i take a few onions and i keep it in my job and I'm like, what can i add to these onions <laughs> mm. <laughs> All right. If people could buy only one in- Indian ingredient, what would you recommend that they buy? Oh, that's such a good question. Oh, I thought goodness. so too, considering I came Very up with good. it at eight o'clock in the night. <laughs> well, um, but it's not something that's used only in Indian cooking. Of course. No, it doesn't think- have to be, just like an ingredient, okay. yeah. 
I think coriander. Oh, yes. I love it and I feel it's really indispensable. Mm, I love I love coriander. And you know yeah. in fact I know in New Zealand coriander used to be so expensive in like 2002 yeah. 2003 my yeah. when we moved here my mom refused to put coriander for like two years when we moved she was like I can't pay like four dollars also like you know when you just come here you're like always converting and so she was like yeah. oh my god it's like 100 rupees for coriander like I can't I can't pay it so she just did not put coriander in our food um yeah yeah not forgetting I love it, it. <laughs> I think for me it would be like ghee like I've just recently kind of oh. rediscovered my love for ghee like it's just so yeah, it just makes your food, you know, just extra creamy and rich and, yeah. Stop that person. Mm, I know. <laughs> Last question and then you can go eat. Okay. <laughs> so for those who want to make, like, more European food at home, yeah. what yeah. would be, like, your one piece of advice that you'd give them? Um, I think if you mm, – I'm a big believer of learning things the proper way, mm. you know, and – I think once you learn, like the basics of European cooking is quite important. Okay. I think stock making, if you had to invest in one, in just one thing, which is, you know, a bit difficult to say because there are so many aspects to it. I would say learn how to make good stocks okay. because that can completely change your meal. Mm. That's true, though. I... um yeah, I recently started making, I so now I make like my own veggie stock at home, which I just like yeah. kind of tend to just add it in everything because it's actually such a flavor bomb. I just exactly. put it in something and it just like ups. Like if something's missing, I'll just like add a tablespoon of stock. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you know, mushroom stock, chicken stock, I just name it and you can, everything is elevated because of that. I mean, it's hard to say one thing, but I think that's what I would say because it is quite easy to do as well. Mm. And I think when you learn how to do things, you know, the the classical way, and then, then you can sort of use your creativity and go places with it. Okay. All right. Well, that's lovely that's advice. <laughs> um, awesome. Well, thank you so much, Archana, for coming on the show. I had an oh, absolutely lovely time and I'll let you go um, eat now. <laughs> <laughs> you too thank you so much for having me person it's been so much fun okay. thank you very much bye thanks for listening to the kiwi foodcast brought to you by podcasts new zealand be sure to listen in next time for another helping of kiwi food stories